0: Welcome to the Lend Academy Podcast, episode number two hundred and twenty. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lendit FinTech Conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020, at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging, and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lendit Fintech: Lending and Banking Connected. Go to lendit.com/usa to register. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Luz Irutia. She is the CEO of Opportunity Fund and a position she has held for about a couple of years now. I wanted to get Luz on the show because I, I've always been fascinated or for several years now with Opportunity Fund. They are the largest nonprofit profit uh, small business lender, micro lender in the country, and I feel like they have just such an interesting story where they're, they're loaning money to people who are underserved at very reasonable rates and have very reasonable default rates. So I wanted to sort of dig into that and find out why. And you know Luz is actually very generous in sharing a lot of the insights that has really enabled her company to be, to be successful. And so we talk about the underwriting, we talk about how they sort of are more than just a lender to these people. They really are a part of their borrowers lives we talk about how they've sort of managed their relationship with lending club that's a big part of what they do and where their capital comes from and what's next for 2020 it was a fascinating interview hope you enjoy the show welcome to the podcast Luz
1: thank you Peter glad to be here
0: Okay, so I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and you've had quite a storied career, I would say so far with working in uh, you know in the banking system so tell us just tell us some of the highlights of your career today before opportunity fund.
1: Sure, so I'm originally from Venezuela, so I'm an immigrant myself. I've been here for a very very long time, came to the to this country to learn English and finish my undergraduate and then uh, started working for a bank at the time was Wachovia Bank, uh, then went and got my MBA and uh, then I got this little bug in me, driven mostly by my original experience when I started working at Wacovia, that uh, I was turned down, I applied for a credit card and they turned me down because I didn't have any credit. And so I thought that was pretty odd because I could be working for a financial institution, but they wouldn't give me credit. And I promised that one day in the future, I would go build uh, a bank or a financial services organization to serve the underbanked population with responsible and affordable financial services for people that didn't have access. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of drove my, you know, pursuit of working in a number of different organizations to develop knowledge and understanding about this community. So from that, I built the bank, ran it for about 13 years, sold it. Then I came to California, started working for a company called Today Oportun. It was Progreso Financiero. And, you know, they also worked with small dollar, primarily at the time, immigrants, Hispanic immigrants that didn't have credit uh, or had thin files. And then you know, I, I decided that I needed to think about, I've been in the for-profit world my whole life, and sort of balancing profits with mission is a real difficult tension at times. And so that kind of brought me to coming and joining Opportunity Fund, A, because I was passionate about their mission, and two, because I felt that, how about if I start with a mission, and allow the mission to drive the sustainability of the business. Mm-hmm. So really, my whole entire career has been focused on financial services, and the last 17 pretty much serving underserved populations.
0: Right, right. Interesting. So, you know, it's the opportunity, you know, I had Raul on, on the show before, and, and, you know, they they certainly are focused on, a, on, on an underserved population. And so I, I'm curious about the the crossover between the population, but let's just hold that thought because maybe we should start by explaining what Opportunity Fund does. So why don't you give us a little bit of a elevator spiel there?
1: Sure, so Opportunity Fund, uh, we are the largest nonprofit microlender in the country. And our focus is to tackle the widening inequality by investing in underserved and overlooked small business owners and communities across the country both urban and rural. You know, small businesses are a critical driver of new jobs. They employ 50% of the population and generate 64% of net new jobs. And entrepreneurship is a proven pathway to help move people into the middle class. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, many deserving small business owners don't have access to the affordable and responsible credit that they need to support and grow their businesses. So we provide small loans, mostly to low to moderate income, ethnic minorities, women and immigrants, to help them make that permanent and lasting change in their lives. So you can look at our model as a hand up, not a handout. You know, we've seen firsthand Uh, the ripple effect of the loans that we make in the form of growing businesses, more jobs, more vibrant communities. And the organization has been in existence since 1994. And since that time, we've deployed more than $900 million uh, and helped thousands of entrepreneurs invest in their futures. Right now, we are launching, last year launched our new five-year strategic plan, where we are committed to deploy an additional $1.2 billion uh, to small business owners across the country by 2023. And, you know, our focus, as I said, we do about 75% of our borrowers are low to moderate income, 30% are women, and 85 to 90% are minority-owned businesses.
0: Right right okay and in addition to that I also believe you you are also a CDFI right so you get so you get some of the benefits from from that designation I'm guessing so maybe maybe' just, just a quick a quick rundown for the listeners just a, sh- a short spiel on what a CDFI is
1: Sure so CDFIs are community-based specialized financial institutions that serve low-income communities or, or people that live in distressed communities. And often they're working in market niches that may be underserved by traditional financial institutions. The CDFI is a designation that's provided by the US Treasury Department for institutions that help low income communities. So they are very strict in the measurement on who we serve, they opened the pool uh, of low-cost capital to us. And actually, on September 23rd of this year, uh, marked the 25th anniversary of the CDFI Fund, You know, which aims to expand economic opportunity by investing in organizations like Opportunity Fund mm-hmm. to provide loans, technical assistance, and financial services.
0: Okay, so the other thing I want to talk about, because it's not, from my understanding, when I was researching you know, Opportunity Fund, it's not just about the... The loans. is also. What do you tell us about this new markets tax credit? What What is that, and how does it fit in with uh, what you What else you're doing?
1: Sure. You know, it's very much complementary to, to what we do. So, the CDFI Fund also administers the new market tax credit program, which builds and supports high impact development projects like um, healthcare centers, homeless shelters, services for at risk youth, food banks, and other much-needed services by low-income populations in, in neighborhoods. You know, the I look at that as a prime example of successful public and private partnering. So, you know, CDFIs across the country leverage an additional $12 in private capital for every dollar of federal funding received through the New Markets Tax Credit Program. Mm-hmm. And so in our case, what we do is... Our program is designed to increase the flow of capital that's going to businesses and low-income communities, and it provides a modest tax incentive to private investors. Mm -hmm. Over the last 10 years, it really has proven that this program is a really effective, targeted, and cost-efficient financing tool for businesses, communities, and investors across the U.S., uh, so we work with a variety of banks who act as the investors and we're providing those tax credits to those investors. We've received, gosh, over $350 million worth of allocations from the CDFI Fund and have allocated those to, right now about $330 million of that has been put to work in these very high impact, as I said, you know, homeless shelters, food banks, education services. I mean, you may have heard some of these in California, you know, the Boys and Girls Clubhouse, Ravenswood Health Clinic, mm-hmm. Compass Family Services. So these are the kind of projects that we are helping to to finance.
0: Right, right. Okay. So I want I want to get back to the to the borrowers. I want I want to actually talk. And you, you gave us a little bit of a, a you know just sort of a, a demographic of who the borrowers are. But I want to dig a little deeper there and maybe you know what what kinds of companies are these small business owners borrowing money for you know what like just tell us a little bit about uh, you know who they are
1: sure so you know our our clients really come from nearly every industry that you can imagine uh, across the country and and they share uh, a number of things in common first um, many of them are small mom and pop uh, anywhere between one to three employees and up to about half a dozen or so. Uh, we do have very few clients that have 100 employees, but that's really not the norm. It's more the smaller micro businesses. They're all incredibly hardworking and resilient. They're established and successful. Uh, they're looking to grow their businesses. So think about the dry cleaners expanding to a second location or a woman who makes tamales, you know, ready for a cargo van to start taking catering deliveries or the restaurant in, you know, in the corner from, from your house. These are borrowers, when they come to us, many of them unfortunately come to us looking to recover because these days we see that many of these small businesses are trapped in debt cycles by not very good actors that are offering short-term, high-cost financing you know, with a direct take into their bank account. It's called merchant cash advance. Mm-hmm. and so they're you know they're drowning in debt. Uh, these are very healthy businesses with great cash flow but have a need for capital that's responsible and affordable. and unfortunately, they go online and they find these very easy to qualify for loans. They take them and then they come to realize that they're doing more damage to their business than help. Our borrowers also in many cases don't have, traditional documentation, you know, over 15 to 20% don't have credit or have thin files. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, they're not a focus for many of the banks and lending institutions. You know, many of them have been their average, to give you an idea, the, the median household income is about $38,000 of our borrowers. Okay. So, these are really, you know, individuals that, that are looking to set up their business and, and, and support themselves and their families create jobs in their community, and then cause that ripple effect of, you know, people that invest and save and invest in their communities.
0: Right. Right. So then are these, I mean, you sort of said set up a business, which made me think of these, are these new businesses as well as established businesses?
1: Uh, so our requirement is that we look at borrowers that have been in business at least one year. Okay. However, in some cases, if we have a borrower coming to us that has a lot of experience in the trade in which they're trying to set up. So they've been in the food industry, in the restaurant as a cook, and they come to us and say, look, we want to buy a mobile food truck to start our own. We will, you know, we will finance that mobile food truck, Mm -hmm. but it's because they've got experience in the trade and the business that they want to start.
0: Right. Got it. Okay. So what about the loans themselves? Let's just talk about the terms of these loans. You know, what's the what's a typical you know, size, interest rate, you know, the, the loan term? What's the, tell us about the loans themselves.
1: Sure. Um, so we loan anywhere between $2,600. That's $2,600 to $250,000. And obviously, that's a big range. The average term is about 33 months. Our loans go anywhere from 12 months to 72 months, and our rates vary. And again, it depends on the size of the loan, the profile of the borrower, but our rates go anywhere between 75 to
0: 18%. Okay, so 18 is the high that they're going to pay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then some of these I mean it sounds like some of them are are really refinancing existing high interest debt like if they've got a merchant cash advance that's really crushing them they might you know, you're finding that that a few of them will just need to get out from under that and so they they're coming to you to try and refinance.
1: Yes, as a matter of fact, there is a paper that you can access on our website on affordable and unsustainable which was a research that we did a few years back when we we got about one hundred clients uh, that we came to us to get refinancing, and we found that many of them uh, the average interest rate was ninety four percent on the loans that they were borrowing for their business. Mm. Some of them we saw had rates up to three hundred and fifty percent, and what we also learned was that you know most of these businesses were paying twice the amount in debt that they had available for their own cash flow. We were able to help about 50% of those borrowers, uh, Peter. Unfortunately, the other 50% were so deep in the hole that we could not help them. But our focus is to get them into a responsible loan before they even have to go out and find a a loan of that magnitude and that that, that rate. And if they go there and find them before they find us, then trying to refinance them into a better loan, that's going to help their business.
0: Right, right. And then, so I'm curious about the... You know, the loan performance because you've got, I mean, these, these are very reasonable rates. There's no question about it. You know, these are from a, for a small business to an underserved community. That's, these rates are very reasonable. Is there any other, any metrics you can share on, on how the loans have been performing?
1: Sure. So, you know, we have a 95% repayment rate, which is one of those huge misconceptions that these borrowers are very high risk. If you applied the principles of responsible lending, which is underwriting every borrower for ability to pay, making sure that they have sufficient cash flow so that they can afford the loan, reporting credit to the credit bureaus, providing you know, reasonable pricing, what you're going to find is that you have not only very responsible borrowers that pay back 95% of the time, but also very loyal. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of our sort of biggest um, rewards, if you will, uh, to see that these borrowers can take money, can do so much, invest, and grow their business, and yet, you know, we, we get a 95% repayment rate. The other piece is the survival rate of the businesses. Our businesses, after having taken and paid a loan after a few years, they show a 94% business survival rate and that is twice that of the national average. So that's another statistic that we measure that we're very very proud about.
0: Mm-hmm. So then what, what is it about your underwriting you think that is being able to, to have I mean obviously it's more than underwriting it sounds like you've really got this sort of bond with your borrowers but I want to just talk about the underwriting briefly. You know what kind of data do you use? How do you how do you approach it and you know what's your sort of what's your approval rate on these on these borrowers?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a combination of things, right? The, the first thing is, you know, we underwrite every single borrower for ability to pay. So that's at the top of the list. If you think about what are the first things you do, those are the first things we do. We believe that it doesn't make any sense to put a borrower in a loan that they cannot afford, particularly because we report credit to the Bureau. So that's number one. The number two is, you know, we look beyond the numbers. We underwrite loans taking into consideration the borrower's experience, as I mentioned earlier, as well as the character. So, you know, when we talk about collateral, for us, we look at collateral in terms of assets, but we look at moral collateral, Mm -hmm. which is very, very high within the community that, that we serve. As I mentioned, we report all loan payments to the credit bureaus because we believe that helping someone build or improve a credit score is helping borrowers build an asset. That is critical for any business or individual that's looking to grow and be able to do some of the very most basic financial transactions in this country, right? So renting a place, you know, connecting utilities, you know, getting a cell phone, so that's very important to us. The other thing that we do that I think is critical in the success of our lending is that we build in business advising and feedback throughout the underwriting process and the life of the loan we believe that a little bit of the seed money but the right kind of financial advice those two combine are a real powerful combination to ensure the, the success of, of that loan and that borrower right the other thing that we do which is also very unique is we you know have a very empathetic collections program so from time to time we know that our borrowers, get into trouble, in many cases for reasons that are beyond their control. And so rather than sending that loan to, you know, collection immediately and charging against the customer, we take an approach to understand what the challenges they're having, how can we help them restructure the loan, extend the payment terms. And so what we find is that in 80% of the cases, those loans that go delinquent get that current. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then finally, you know, we make the process of paying us back as easy as possible. And I think that makes a huge difference. And then if you take that further down to dealing with immigrant populations, I think one of the most important things is making sure that you have cultural competence in our team and that we understand the market, in other words, our people serving our people. When you build that trust with a borrower, and they know that they're going to see Adela not just closing a loan, but they're going to see her in the school with her kids, in the soccer field, in the grocery store, there is a trust bond established between the lender and the borrower that really lasts for a very long time. And if Mm -hmm. they get in trouble, they're going to pick up the phone and call you.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. So then, you, I know you can you can apply online to these loans, but you can also, I believe, you know, uh, apply in person. So, what are most of your loans coming from the online channel, or or how the borrowers getting in touch?
1: Yeah, so we have a combination of outreach uh, and customer acquisition. So, you know, we have boots on the ground for the very small of micro businesses, and we work with a network, a significant network of community partners in California, about 50. These are other CDFIs that are providing either technical assistance, business advising, tax, legal, accounting services, but need somebody to provide the capital. And that's where we come in. So we get you know, a a significant number of borrowers coming through our community partnership network. We also work with mobile food truck manufacturers. We work with trucking dealerships. We work with other banks that may decline customers for credit, and they send them to us. Uh, And then we have our online channel, and our online channel is mostly with a lending club partnership that I know you uh, covered when, when we launched that expanded partnership back in April. And so that partnership is in 45 states now, California and 44 states outside of California. I'd say that our online channel generates about a third of the volume that we do, mm-hmm. a third to 40% of the volume that we do. And then the other channels that I talked about generate the remaining
0: Right, right. So just to maybe to tell us about the, this relationship with Lending Club. Cause I mean, obviously we, I think most listeners would remember that Lending Club uh, decided to stop originating loans themselves. They're sending them off to, to you guys and a funding circle. So maybe, um, like is this, is this sort of, so that's where most of your online is coming from. I and mean, is this a partnership that you you're hoping to deepen? I mean, what are your expectations for this for this partnership going forward?
1: Sure. So you you covered this uh, again as I mentioned earlier, which was very exciting time for us. So Opportunity Fund um, established a partnership with Lending Club back in 2016, and at the time it was thank you to the uh, a grant uh, made by the JPMorgan Chase. Uh, organization, where they wanted to see how a marketplace lender, the largest marketplace lender, could partner with a nonprofit to help borrowers that were declined by the online lender. So if a borrower came to Lending Club and they were declined for credit reasons, then we interfaced our systems with theirs through APIs, and they, in the background, would run that borrower against our own credit box. And then, if we approve them, the borrower would get an immediate uh, notification congratulations, you have been approved pre qualified by one of our uh, partners. And so, we would take the borrower relationship from there and we would underwrite the loan and you know, close the loan, service the loan, et cetera. We had that partnership in 13 states for a couple of years, a lot of success. Uh, We were able to help a lot of borrowers reduce their pricing from other options that they had if they had been turned down by Lending Club and and by us. And so we felt that it was time to expand it. And so what we did is we said, look, we want to go nationwide with them, leverage your technology, integrate more, and then start to provide pre-qualified offers, not just to second-look customers throughout the country but to what we're calling near-prime customers. Near-prime customers are customers that are not yet being approved by banks or other responsible lenders and are still going to, you know, higher-cost online lenders. With that partnership and the expansion of that partnership back in April, we also recognize that, you know, there's a lot of prime borrowers coming in through the lending club channel, but those are not necessarily opportunity funds' target market. Those are more the target market of organizations like Funding Circle. Mm-hmm. So, opportunity fund is getting the second look in the near prime, and Funding Circle is getting all the prime-based uh, customers.
0: Right, right. So then, is this relationship unique? Are you looking to like duplicate this with other potential online lenders, or, or what? What do you? How do you view it? Sort of as a as a channel that you can expand.
1: Sure. So, you know, we obviously just launched this in April. We have met all of our goals in terms of loan originations, which has been wonderful. We believe that the combination of, you know, our credit technology and their capabilities, our mission-based high-touch lending model, that we can continue to dramatically expand access to, to affordable capital to more underserved small business owners across the country. If you think about our partnership, you know, we're taking care of about 80% of the market that we believe 80% of the market of underserved small businesses. So we still have a lot of work to do with Lending Club to expand the partnership. We're in the final stages of building the, you know, the more integrated technology solution. And so we're we're expecting to work on that for the next 6 to 12 months and, and then decide, you know, where do we go from here? Is there opportunity for us to extend to other partnerships, which is a key element of our strategic plan? that I mentioned earlier to deploy $1.2 billion. It is to partner with other organizations, both online, other CDFIs, you know, other referral partnerships in order to extend our capabilities and be able to help more underserved populations across the country.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so what about like an organization like Opportune where you used to you used to work and uh, obviously they're, they're more focused on the consumer, consumer per- and personal loans. But is is that the sort of the sort of company that you would consider partnering with?
1: Well, you know, we're not a consumer lender. We are a small business lender and while there's sort of a, you know, when you get to the to the lower end of the pyramid as I call it, there is a real blurry line between what's a consumer loan and what's a business loan because right. a lot of consumers will borrow under their personal, you know, credit and they're investing and they have other jobs, right, during the day, but they have a side business, whether they're in landscaping or restaurants, et cetera. So we don't have plans to become a consumer lender, at least for the foreseeable future. So our partnerships are going to be more focused with organizations that are acquiring true underserved small businesses.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. So then what about the, the capital that you're lending out? I mean, obviously you've You've got the CDFI fund that you talked about, where banks and banks, I believe, can get CRA credit uh, for for the loans that they're putting out there. But what, maybe you could tell us what other what other sources of capital that you're you're working with.
1: Sure, absolutely. So yeah, so the CDFI fund is is crucial for us, and you know we've um, I think we've gotten like sixteen and a half million dollars worth of allocations since the fund has been in existence, which has been great. The bulk of our funding comes from traditional banks, financial institutions that are lending us uh, through their Community Reinvestment Act. So, you know, it's it's highly critical, highly impactful because it's low-cost capital. And as you probably know, you know, banks are required to invest capital in the communities in which they take deposits from and where they operate. And a lot of financial institutions don't necessarily have the expertise, the know-how, or the desire to lend to the kind of businesses that we lend to. So what they do in turn is they give us those loans and we lend to to those local communities. And so that has been incredible capital for us. You know, right now we have over $110 million worth of lines of credit. The bulk of that comes from CRA banks. We also have an impact investment note last year, two years ago, uh, we issued the largest impact investment note that has ever been issued by a nonprofit small business lender, CDFI. We raised about eleven and a half million dollars from that. Uh, we're expanding that and that had you know investors' foundations, a lot of accredited individual investors. and so that provides another you know important source of capital for us. And then we have a number of foundations that provide uh, program related investments. Banks provide EQ2s and other low-cost capital, which is obviously so critical for us because the rates you were talking about that are reasonable, the reason we can provide those kinds of rates is because we get very low cost of capital that helps support the lending at those
0: rates. Right, right. yep, for sure. For sure. Okay, well, we're just about out of time, Luz. I just want to… Maybe we could end with you know, talking about what's next for you guys. You uh, just you've talked about your five year strategic plan, I know, but maybe give us a look. You know, give us a bit of a window into next year and what do you hope to what do you hope to achieve in twenty twenty?
1: Yeah. So as I said, you know, we're marching towards one point two billion dollars deployed by twenty twenty three. You know, next year we're looking at deploying close to one hundred forty million dollars worth of capital. We are launching our Women of Opportunity initiative, um, as you can imagine. Uh, I am keenly focused in helping women-owned businesses mm-hmm. uh, achieve their true potential, and that's one segment of the population that unfortunately uh, gets a minimum amount of uh, debt capital when, when they ask for it. We're working with, obviously, Lending Club to expand that partnership mm-hmm. and make it as, as productive as it can be. We also established a partnership with KeyBank to open in new markets with our trucking lending uh, starting in New York and hopefully expanding into other markets. We're looking to expand our impact investment fund to attract more institutional and individual accredited investors. We will continue, one of the key areas of our business is to advocate and help influence policy uh, both at the state but, you know, national and, 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 and regional level. And that's a big part, especially in this in these days where you know, every time we, we, we turn around, we see that one of the programs that is benefiting these um, low-income communities is at risk of being eliminated. So our policy and advocacy work is going to take a, a very intense approach in 2020. I'm going to be spending time, you know, talking at the CFPB next month about the need for us to collect data from small business owners under Section 1071 uh, that they're evaluating. We're going to continue hiring, seeing our staff grow, you know, hopefully by 200 people uh, by the time we're done with this uh, strategic plan. And just, you know, relentlessly trying to manage risk, adopt new technology, which is key. You know, technology and data analytics are key for us to Deliver the kind of growth and impact that we want to deliver. And just helping more borrowers say more yeses to borrowers that, as we can so that we can continue to close that, you know, income inequality and uh, support the communities in which we all work and serve.
0: Okay. Well, it's a, it is a it is a noble cause. And I think you, know, you really, your organization, I think, I, I hear about it. You know, it's talked all the time about uh, what great work you guys are doing. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Luz.
1: Peter, thank you so much for your time. As always, it's a pleasure.
0: Okay. See you.
1: Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: You know, you can really tell talking with Luz right there that she's, you know, that her, that her company has developed a bond with their borrowers that is, is real. And obviously they have, you know, that they're, they're serving an underserved population and these people are very grateful for receiving this money, but it's it's more than that because they they develop this loyalty. I mean this 95% repayment rate for what is essentially, let's face it, a near prime or subprime population. I mean that to me is astounding. And not just in a consumer but in a small business setting where these businesses are potentially many many businesses fail as we know and they've got they've got a, a large, a better success rate than average there as well. So they've worked out how to kind of how to really attach them themselves into the lives of these people where they consider paying off their opportunity fund loan a very high priority. And I think that's, I think, the story here that, you know, they've they've obviously done a great job in attracting these these customers and underwriting them. But what they've done best at, as far as I can tell, is they have got loyalty. Loyalty, I think, that many other small business uh, lenders would uh, be quite envious of. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by LendIt Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and LendIt Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. LendIt Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to LendIt.com USA to register.